Hey fam, welcome back to the show. Thanks for listening to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman, joined today by Abby Hall, the American ultra sensation from Flagstaff, Arizona. Abby returns for her second appearance on the show. She was on the pod a couple years ago after she had done an unsupported push on the John Muir Trail. And ever since then, she's really emerged as one of the best trail runners in the world, in my opinion, smashing stellar performances, typically finishing on the podium at many of the world's most iconic races. Most recently, Abby finished third place at CCC, then followed that up with a victory at Transvolcania just a couple weeks ago. We talked about Abby courageously leaving her full-time job as a designer to bet on herself and go all in as a professional athlete. We talk about what she learned from her friend and teammate, Ruth Croft. We talk about self-confidence and self-doubt, her season, and how she's been able to make such a leap in terms of her performance on the international circuit in the last couple of seasons. I hope you all enjoy this episode. As usual, the Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the artisan trail equipment brand from Portland, Oregon. Speedland just released the third commission of footwear in the brand's history, the GS Tam, my signature shoe with a free trail signpost logo on the heel. Speedland has been the biggest supporter of our small business as we both try to carve out our place and a space for ourselves in the trail product and media landscape, respectively. It's been super fun to be on this startup journey together. And the GS Tam is the best shoe ever made, a maximal cushioned weapon made from the best materials, the trademark Speedland quality, double BOA LI2 dials, dual PBAX midsoles, optional Carbotex carbon plate, Michelin outsole, et cetera, et cetera. The GS Tam pre-order is live now at runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 to save 10% off your order. That code is also available for the remaining models, the remaining pairs of the SLHSV as well. So go over to runspeedland.com and take advantage. Thanks so much to those guys. couple more things. Come play fantasy with us this weekend. The legendary JFK 50 is happening in Maryland on Saturday. Also, we open fantasy for Ultra Trail Cape Town today, which you're definitely going to want to play. Ultra Trail Cape Town is happening next weekend with an incredible group of athletes and Free Trail will be doing some coverage of the race over at freetrail.com. But most importantly, race director Stu McConaughey was generous enough to offer an incredible prize package for the fantasy winner at fantasy.freetrail.com. That prize, if you can believe it, is a flight, hotel, and race entry to the 2023 edition of UTCT, a trip to Cape Town for winning fantasy trail running. How amazing is that? Thank you so much to Stu, one of the best dudes in the sport. Again, visit fantasy.freetrail.com. Play the UTCT game for a chance to win a trip to South Africa. Finally, if you enjoy free trail, you should join free trail pro the online community of for passionate trail runners around the world, get a deeper discount on the GS Tam, join hundreds of other trail lovers in the free trail slack, listen to rest day, our member only podcast, come to office hours, our weekly zoom meeting where you can talk training and celebrate achievements from our community members. We also have awesome subgroups, the Free Trail Femmes, the women's group. We have a group for sober runners, mental health and mindset stuff led by OG Free Trailer, Matthew Hoadley, and a lot more perks. Membership is $10 a month or $96 for the whole year. And we think it's a great value. There is a free trial, so come try it out. No pressure, no risk. Just come say hello. We'd love to have you around. Okay. Hope you guys enjoy this episode. Abby Hall, welcome back to the podcast. Good to see you. Thanks, Dylan. Good to be here. Good to see you. You're back home in Flagstaff. It looks like a beautiful sunny day. You're broadcasting outdoors today. <laughs> How are you feeling less than a week after your amazing victory at Transvolcania? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I, I'm actually down uh, like by Havelina right now, getting ready to oh. volunteer down there this weekend. Uh, so excited to turn the tables a little bit and work an aid station. Um, but yeah, like it's been a great week. Got back to the States a few days ago, 
ran uh, Transylvania last weekend and yeah, just like coming down after a really special experience out there. How does the body feel? And are you looking forward to being on the other side this weekend? I know I've never been to Javelina, but it has the reputation of being like the best race to crew and spectate at because it's a looped course and everybody's like kind of in the Halloween spirit partying. Yes. I know like the immediate thing on my radar this week was like, I've got to figure out a costume. Like I got to, you know, get the energy going here. So yeah, it's going to be really fun to kind of be on the other side of things and like just soak in that atmosphere. Cause I think, yeah, so often when you're, you're racing or post race, you can just be so out of it and it'll be fun to just kind of go bask in it a little bit, a little bit extra. Um, yeah, body's feeling good. Uh, did my first run back yesterday and feeling undamaged and healthy as, as I can at this point. So that's uh, a good feeling and I'm grateful for that. Yeah, man, you have just been on such a roll recently and I can't wait to talk all about it. Of course, last time you were on the show, it's probably like two years ago at this point. So I feel like we have a ton to catch up on, but maybe first, just tell me about the move from Boulder to Flagstaff. How long ago was that now? What motivated that? And how's it been settling into the new community? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that move was almost exactly a year ago, like a year ago was like two days ago or something like that. Um, Yeah. I moved from Boulder. Um, You know, I had been there for, I think it was like five and a half years. Cordis had been in the area there his whole life. Um, and so for us, it was really kind of about trying something new. Um, you know, we're definitely, um, always found ourselves like being drawn to this part of the country, you know, like when we'd have, you know, a week off work or something, always making our way this way. Um, whether it was to, you know, stuff in the Southwest stuff in California and really kind of looked at, you know, where's going to be a community where we can kind of call home, have access to those things that we love year round. And yeah, just like try something new and have a new adventure. So super happy with the decision. It's been, yeah, a really full year. And, um, you know, has just been a really fun, fun opportunity to, you know, I don't know, like anytime you, you make a life change like that, it's a fun opportunity to like, embrace new parts of you that are maybe growing in a certain direction, shed some old things. And, um, you know, like I had recently quit my job. I think it was maybe like the May before the move. So like eight months before we moved or something like that. And so I feel like kind of getting to Arizona was like the first time I had really leaned into like life as an athlete and, you know, not balancing a day job on the side of it. And that was like a fun fun part of that transition too. So it's been good so far. Let's talk more about that because when you posted about the fact that you were leaving your full-time day job as a designer, I sent you a message and said, Hey, I also put my notice in at work. And of course that was to basically go all in and focus hundred percent of my effort on free trail. And so maybe this would be a fun thing to commiserate on the two of us taking these career pivots sort of at the same time, maybe, uh, just talk about that decision-making process because it is a bit of a risk going out on a limb, betting on yourself as an athlete when you have sort of a stable full-time job. So talk about that decision-making process, the conversations with Cordis and how it's been so yeah, far. hundred percent. Um, I think, you know, it was something that I had been curious about trying for a while. I had originally tried to do it in like February, 2020, like great time to like quit a job right before the <laughs> pandemic starts. And then, um, and then kind of like backtracked a little and, uh, did some freelance work, got a job offer. And I was like, don't say no to a job offer during a pandemic. Like, let's like, you know, maybe this is not the right time for it. And, um, yeah. So then kind of gave it another shot in May, 2021. And it was definitely kind of a, a rushed setup because it was like, I'd just gotten, a golden ticket at canyons. And it was like kind of this frantic, like I'm going to run Western States, like in a, you know, short time frame there between getting the ticket at canyons and States. And then like, I'm going to quit my job and have more time to train. And so that was like, um, it was definitely like in, in fast motion there at first as things were unfolding, but I think I got to kind of, um, you know, reap the benefits of it as it went on, but like, yeah, ultimately to your, what you mentioned of like, taking a bet on yourself to me, that's what it was all about. And it was a little bit of an experiment. Um, I really feel like everyone's personal definition of balance is totally 
different. And, um, you know, it's different, like Cordis's sense of balance is different than my sense of balance in terms of like how our days look. And, um, I was really curious to see if I would thrive in that, in that, yeah, in that form of betting on myself. And I think because like, I'm a a runner that has, you know, my journey with like self-confidence and self-doubt and things like that has been a really guiding part of my like trajectory as a runner. And so this is like played into that in a major way, um, and brought kind of like a sense of professionalism to it that has actually been really freeing. Um, so I don't, I don't look at it quite like I, I made my passion, my job. I look at it more as like, um, like, okay, that is true. But like, I look at it more now as like, you know, my passion for running and all that is going to exist regardless of whether or not I make it my job, but like, I'm choosing to make it my job right now in a sense that, you know, there's, you know, obviously a lot of like ass as an athlete, when you're working with a brand, when you're, you know, traveling, trying to get to know courses, trying to like be part of a team, um, trying to like help with what other kind of like athlete side hustles you have going. And so, um, for me, like having the time and space for that has like allowed me to take myself more seriously. And it's, it's been a positive experiment so far. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Let's, let's talk more about that in a second, because I really do want you to expand more on the journey with self-belief, because I think that's been a big contributing factor to this amazing run of success and consistency that you've been on. But our careers often also create like a counterbalance and give us like a little bit more routine to our lives outside of just being an athlete. And to hear you describe this increased professionalism, Mm -hmm. it makes me want to ask like how you've been able to manage that. I mean, practically speaking, having the time to be an athlete in what ways have you been more professional? I think, you know, it, I definitely feel it like, um, say in those low moments as an athlete, like even whether it's mid race, whether it's like a bad workout, a bad training week, a niggle, like I feel it in those lows a little bit more where I feel kind of like a positive pressure to, um, to like find grace through those things. Um, whereas I think before when I was thinking of it purely as like, this is like my fun passion thing. It felt like, well, why would I, why would I work? Why would I spend so much energy working through those lows? If this is quote, like just for kind of like amusement and fun and like, just like going out and having a good time. And so it kind of gave, gave depth and like trajectory to those lows a little bit more that I felt like it was worth, worth seeing those things through because I wanted to like, I wanted to like put good out into the world and like, put like, put this idea out there that like, you know, it's worth working through failure. It's worth working through those hard times. And, um, that's something I think I enjoy talking about a lot as an athlete and, so it's like, yeah, like I like being able to have a a voice and um and hope that I can make a positive change in those ways. Yeah, it's so cool. And it feels to me like this career pivot and increased professionalization sort of coincided with what I would characterize as an increase in performance or at least an increase in consistent world-class performance. Yeah. Would you associate those two? And in, in what ways has it benefited your life as an athlete? Without a doubt. Because oftentimes, Abby, the the reason I ask is because, you know, oftentimes you hear the conversation, you know, as it relates to someone like Francois, like, oh, well, he was a winemaker and he was like one of the best of all time. And the career sort of creates the counterbalance as we were just talking about. But also in your case, you know, it opens up an an opportunity to take the next step. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I I definitely know what you mean. I think I think that, you know, like the the opportunities are certainly starting to exist more often in our sport now where people can make like a a full-time, like decent living off of being an athlete, which I think is a really exciting thing. Um, And as far as like kind of how that affected performance, I think, um, I don't know. I think, I think I was going to start lines with like a new sense of confidence of feeling like, you know what, like there's, there's people out there who believe in me enough that they're willing to like pay me to to try and do a good job at this. And I really want to honor that. And like, and that felt like a fun opportunity to me because especially because like I'd been a designer for like 
nine years before I quit. Like, so to me, there wasn't like a whole lot of fear associated with it because like, I know I had enough job experience as a designer that like, I could totally go back and work in design at any point. This is like, this feels like just, this has always felt like nothing but opportunity to me. And so that, that was like a marked shift, right? Like wow. the seeing, the seeing running is an opportunity just to like, yeah, to go explore my own personal depths. Um, you know, maybe rather than, I don't know, I'm trying to define maybe what that shift was, but like, yeah, seeing it as opportunity, knowing that there was really nothing to lose, that this could just be a simple experiment. And I would always go back to design, you know, either it was going to work or it wasn't. Yeah. You got one shot. You might as well take it. <laughs> yeah. I, love it. I love it. Well, congratulations. And it's been so great to see the su- success that you've had since betting on yourself and taking this big new leap. Before we start talking about some of those successes, there's another thing I'd love for you to discuss. Last time we saw each other in person was at Western States, not long after Ruth Croft had just finished and won Mm. the race. And I'd love for you to talk about her a little bit because we had a fun interaction where you shared the fact that she had stayed with you and Cordes and Flagstaff for a little while before Western States and just how impressed you were with her as a person and as an athlete. And I'd love for you to share some of those anecdotes because I think people would love it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Ruth came and Ruth's a teammate of mine on, on the Adidas Terex team and has become a dear friend through that. And um, as someone that I look up to a ton as a mentor and beautiful soul and Ruth's just an incredible person. Um, she yeah, came and stayed with us um, in Flagstaff during her build for Western States. And um, yeah, it was just like having someone so like excellent, like roof living under your roof is, um, a special thing and was, you know, really motivating to like my own kind of habits as an athlete, you know, everything from, um, you know, she's doing her mobility exercises first thing in the morning, she's getting the body work. She's, you know, prioritizing the, the intervals, you know, like she's just uh, an excellent human being, but, um, she does it in a way that, um, yeah, like it brings a really fun spirit to it. And, um, like a lot of, you know, a lot of joy. And so it's a, yeah, really contagious quality and was super special having her around. And I think, you know, having like a, you know, friend and training partner like her, you know, especially this year, we got to share a lot of miles together has definitely been, you know, a big part of me continuing to believe in myself more and continues to make me a big believer in this model of like surrounding yourself with, with people who believe in you and like, you know, believing in each other as a, as a way of not only like cultivating a a really special bond and beautiful friendship that transcends running, but one that, you know, also is making us get to do cool things together. So getting to go and then, um, support her a bit at Western States was super special to be a part of. And I had just been during that time coming off of like this really bad knee wound. I took a bad fall in the Grand Canyon, um, actually shortly after she left Flagstaff, like in between then and Western States. So I was kind of like limping around, just starting to be able to run again. And like, it just really like filled my cup to go get to crew her and, um, you know, witness her in action and, um, kind of helped me to see beyond the current circumstances of my knee, which I think ended up being a big part of how things like continue to shake out in like the later months of the season. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, I think spending time with the great champions like Ruth, especially, you know, those great champions who don't like to sort of toot their own horn and brag about themselves. I think it's a great opportunity to sort of get pearls of wisdom and insights just from watching their behavior and lifestyle and mindset up close and personal. And I'm sure it's had a positive impact on you as an athlete. So talking about your training, you and I have both been coached by Jason Coop forever. And I wondered if maybe you wanted to reflect on the arc of that relationship, especially as you've sort of emerged into this like top echelon, top category of professional female ultra runners internationally. Uh, and if there's anything that you guys have maybe changed, adjusted in the last, call it two years that you think has helped to, uh, you know, contribute to the success. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coop and I started working together in fall 2017. Um, so yeah, we've, we've logged a good number of years together now, which is pretty special. Um, and like at that time when I 
you know, approached him. Like I had a lot of big dreams. I had a lot of, a lot of hopes for where I could take things. And I didn't even have a, a huge definition of what that looked like. It just felt like I could do big things and wanted to chip away at it for a while. And, uh, and give it my best shot. And so, um, yeah, we started working together then and really through the, through the course of, you know, working together, there were a good few years there where I would just say I was kind of grinding away and kind of paying dues, so to speak of just trying to continue to throw myself in, um, you know, big racing opportunities. Like at the time, my big goal was Leadville and I did, uh, two Leadvilles in a row, both of which I went into wanting to have, like you want wanting to like win or be on the podium and both years, just like walking it in. Like the first year I was second to last place the next year, like I cut like 15 minutes off my time, barely still making the cutoff. Like it was brutal. Yeah. Um, and like, I remember after my second Leadville, like, you know, going and doing it twice in a row is kind of like, just kind of a gut punch. I mean, it's like, you usually hope that you can go back the second time and like have this, you know, heroic thing of like last year I did bad. And this year I did great. And it was like the next year going and doing barely better, still yeah. like far from what I felt like my potential was. I remember like talking with Coop and being like, you know, like that was, that was better. Right. You know, like I, I made some good improvements there. And, and he said kind of something, you know, really direct to the effect of like, it was more or less the same. Like we got a lot to work on. And to me that like, that was the honest truth that I needed to hear at that point. And, um, there was a lot to work on. And so I feel like we really, like, I really rolled up my sleeves and kind of like from that point forward started, um, you know, just trying to focus on kind of logging opportunities in competitive settings as a way of learning. Um, so really just, you know, like back then it was like lining up at like TNF and like Sonoma and a lot of those races where it's just like going in and like, you know, throwing elbows with less like an incredible field of women and like learning a lot about how to like execute a good race. Um, and like kind of the, the shift for me was a lot about like going from thinking like, I'm going to like start running like ultras all the time and like, be really good at them right out of the gate. Like, that's going to be my story. And I was like, <laughs> no, that's not going to be your story at all. Like, you're going to like, you've got a lot of years yeah. of chipping away at this before it's going to like click, like you're, you're hoping things can. So, um, yeah, like, I think we've definitely experimented with volume. Um, I think that's like a dial that like Coop is always curious about playing with, with athletes and like, you know, like when we turn that dial up, like as I'm sure you've experienced, like when you're going big on volume with Coop, you're going big. Um, yeah. so have logged some really big weeks, um, and like learned, you know, kind of, I think how close that should be to a race, whether it's early season, whether it's close to a race, um, you know, I think we're, we're a pretty well-oiled machine at this point. And, you know, I think a big part of that has been in the last two years has been like really these tactical situations in racing. And one thing that I really have always appreciated about Coop from, from the moment I started working with him was like, I feel like, however, like, you know, to whatever level I get in the sport, like Coop's going to be like a, a, a real, like know exactly how to coach for that. Yeah. Uh, like there's no situation to too intense or too competitive or too tactical or too whatever it might be. And, um, I feel like he, he always knows how to like rise to those moments with me. Um, and so that's been an exciting thing to get to do together. He's, um, also crewed me a lot, like in the last year, um, he crewed me at trans grand Canaria. He's crewed me every year at CCC. Um, and so like, yeah, getting to work together in that way is really special too. And like a big motivator to me. Um, yeah. Because yeah, I'm always like psyched to see him out there. And uh, again, kind of one of those key people like, like Ruth that, you know, has believed in me from the beginning and that holds a ton of weight for me. I love it. And I so resonate with much of what you said, including the fact that he encouraged you to just go get experience racing against 
deep, tough competition. And that's the best way to learn. You know, there's only so much you can do ripping interval sessions a few days yeah. a week, but it's at some point you got to put your nose in the fight and that's how you learn. Yeah. I loved it. I didn't plan to do this, but I'd love to hear you reflect now on those two Leadvilles because they're basically like, I just pulled them up and it's basically like golden hour finishes back to back years. at And here you are coming off back to back podiums at CCC. So like, it's quite a journey that you've been on from the golden hour to, you know, podium at the biggest stage in the sport. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, definitely like it's, um, I think, you know, I think when I um, first moved to Boulder, like it was really interesting, like an interesting time to get into the sport, get into the community there. Cause some of the friends that I, two of the friends that I made early on were Kat Bradley and Claire Gallagher. And um, I was sharing miles with them. And, you know, like Kat was a friend back then who would, you know, was really quick to say like, Hey, I think you can do big things in the sport. And, you know, Kat goes and wins Western States. Claire goes and wins Leadville. And the, the like grace with which they went and accomplished those things kind of gave me this, like this, this hope for myself that like, I too could go and do things like that. And, uh, my journey there was a bit longer, but I, I look, I look back at those times and reflect early on how that almost felt at that time in Boulder felt like really normal to go and just like enter those world stages and, and crush. And, um, I think that was a big part of me kind of early on vision casting and, in um, setting my sights on what I thought I might be able to achieve. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's been a, it's been a long road for sure. And like Coop and I reflect on that a lot of like, there were some years of just plugging away there and a lot of points along the way where I could have just said, you know what, like, I'm, I'm not going to like go as far as I thought in the sport and that's okay. But I really, uh, yeah, I really worked really kept chipping away at it because I, I believe there was something more there. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by BOA Fit System. You all know BOA, the best lacing system ever invented. You know, the dials you see on every pair of Speedland footwear and on a number of other high quality products in the outdoor and endurance sport marketplace. BOA dials ensure the best possible fit and therefore the best possible performance and experience while you are out ripping on the trails. The LI2 dials are what we use on the Speedlands, which offer incredibly customizable fit. You can tighten and loosen them to very precise increments on the fly, all without tying silly shoelaces. Seriously, it's 2022. Who ties their shoes anymore? Once you go BOA, you never go back. These dials will change your life and make your feet much happier. To learn more about BOA, visit boafit.com. Follow them on Instagram at boafitsystem. Thanks to BOA for their support. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition. Are you tinkering with your race day nutrition strategy? Are you finding that the nonstop consumption of energy gels and chews leaves you with intense taste fatigue and sugar overdose? Well, I have some advice for you, something I've done for years now. That is, drink your calories. I've tried everything on the market and I am here to tell you that not all drink mixes are created equal. The Gnarly Fuel 2O drink mix is by far the best that I've tried for both taste and energy supply. Fuel 2O is the bomb, especially the cherry cola flavor. That is my absolute favorite. It has all the carbohydrates, the electrolytes, the amino acids to power you along your trail adventures. Two more things that make it amazing. One, it is NSF certified for sport, so you don't have to worry about unintentionally ingesting any banned substances. And two, they come in both multi-serving bags and single-serving pouches. I typically use the big bag, but in case I use a single-serve stick in a race or a long training run where I need to refill my bottles, the sticks are actually easy to open. It's a miracle. We've all fumbled with drink mix pouches that are impossible to tear open on the run. Is there anything more frustrating? Well, Gnarly somehow solved for that too. So go grab some Fuel 2O drink mix at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your purchase. Gonarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15. So then speaking specifically about some of the races that you've been up to recently, you finished second at CCC last year. And I believe you spoke afterwards about sort of like an intentional 
decision to be a little bit more bold, aggressive, and mm-hmm. maybe orient yourself with more risk-taking in competitive environments. Talk mm-hmm. about that intentional change in your race strategy and how it's, you know, impacted how you view yourself. Mm. So I think that that mentality, yeah, like you mentioned, it kind of start like starting for me with that like 2021 CCC. And um, I think the reason for that timing was that I was coming off of um, like kind of a lackluster performance at Western States for me where, um, you know, I went in after canyons, put in some big training, went in, um, you know, maybe a little tired and kind of ran a race where I felt like I was kind of waiting for it to come to me, like Mm -hmm. kind of went in with this mentality of people go out aggressively. And if you just keep chugging away, you'll, you'll work through the carnage. And I kind of, and of course, like it was a year where I think only like one woman in front of me dropped or two or something like really very little carnage. Mm -hmm. And I finished kind of feeling like, what? Like, that's not what what was supposed to happen. And I don't, I don't like taking on that kind of approach as an athlete. I like feeling really responsible for my race. And, um, and that, like that mentality didn't quite work for me at Western States. So going into CCC later that summer, I wanted to put myself in a position where I was taking responsibility for my race and not waiting for it to come to me or waiting for this situation that I'm imagining might unfold, um, you know, could happen. So, um, yeah, really went into, to that 2021 CCC feeling like, all right, I'm going to like, you know, I'm going to set myself up for some big opportunities here. And, and like, you know, like, I think even the night before that race, this is something to Cordis, like I want to come into Champagne lock, like unsure if I can continue. Like I really wanted to push that envelope of how hard I could go because I had you know, I think because of like, say, looking back with the background of those Leadvilles in mind, I always know I can march it out and gut it out. Um, and so for me, it's like playing with this, this dial of like, knowing that that's like the, 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 the setting I can default to if needed of just like getting it done. Yep. Like how can I perform within that? And so, yeah, that, um, CCC last year was, uh, a big, you know, moment for learning that mentality, going out more aggressively and it worked. And so really since then, um, like every race I've done is, has had that in mind of, of going out and trying to push the envelope early. I mean, not doing anything like crazy right from the the start, but like definitely within the first 20 minutes of the race, feeling like I'm already working hard. Yeah. And that was new for me versus this kind of mentality that, I think maybe like used to be a little bit more popular of like this kind of like go out easy and wait for carnage and pick things off. But I feel like we're seeing that less at the front of fields. hundred percent. People are like taking the race by the horns early and just being like, you know, I'm going to like take charge of this thing early and run aggressively. And, you know, those situations are are not as easy to come across anymore. And so, so, yeah, going into this CCC, I think it was, yeah, even, even trying to push that envelope more, um, uh, trying to, yeah, run a faster time there. Um, tried to make, make my best, uh, bid for the win. And, um, and that meant like a really similar, you know, arrive in Champaign feeling like the wheels are going to come off, but, um, but continuing anyway. And so, yeah, I was able to go take a good chunk of time off there this year, which, We'll talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Cool. But first, but first, you know, I, I love the philosophy of taking responsibility for your own race. And maybe this is a good opportunity to bring the self-belief, self-doubt conversation back into our discussion, because obviously that goes hand in hand with taking risks. You know, when you're taking risk, you have to have a certain level of trust and belief in yourself. Talk about how you've cultivated that. Mm. Well, I think. Okay. So I think, I mean, cultivating it definitely goes back to kind of some of those like fundamental building block kind of races for me of, you know, putting myself in positions where I felt like, oh, there's a whole lot of like women who deserve to be in front of me here. Or, you know, like, I don't know how I can hold my own in a field like this. Um, And, you know, first starts with kind of cultivating that sense of belonging there at all, let alone believing that you could thrive in amongst a field of like, 
great talent. Um, and so, yeah, like I think really, um, seeking out those competitive opportunities was a big part of that. Um, but I also think like kind of as it's advanced further for me, it kind of has become this, um, tightrope I've tried. I kind of, I've always visualized it as a tightrope or like a lane I'm trying to stay in where, you know, maybe there's like self-doubt and pity on one side and there's like ego on the other side of like, I believe I'm like the, you know, like the all-time greatest. And it's like this staying in the lane of like being my greatest and not feeling bad for myself, but also not like making myself larger than life and kind of like continuing to ride that, uh, that line. Um, and that's something that I feel even in, in racing too, like of how I can hold that line and not, you know, not run too conservatively, not run with pity, but, you know, take responsibility and yeah, it's like an interesting mix of things for me, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's the, the mindset component is what I think what separates the podium finishers from the winners. And we'll get around to this later on in our conversation about, you know, Transvolcania and like you sort of emerging into that victory category rather than just the podium category. But yeah, yeah, I think it's, it's a really important thing for younger athletes to think about is just like ways in which they can arrive feeling comfortable and confident in themselves. And actually I pulled something off one of your posts from trans grand Canaria that is sort of in line with this, that I think it would be fun to just read here and maybe you can expand on it for the audience. <laughs> and again, this was after an amazing second place finish at trans grand Canaria where you started your season this year. And what you said was this one, it, <clears throat> excuse me, this one's an emotional one for me, mainly because I feel like I'm making a younger version of myself really proud. When I did this race four years ago, I cried at half the aid stations <laughs> and wondered if I had what it took to get good at this stuff. I had big dreams, but didn't know how to get there. I still remember all the women who were on the podium that year because they, it blew my minds that they could run that fast on that kind of terrain for that long. I wanted to feel what that felt like. I wish I could go back and tell 27-year-old Abby that you are actually capable of the things that you dream about. You'll find a way there. It's a beautiful, beautiful written articulation of, you know, developing that belief in ourselves. So maybe you could reflect on that and, and more generally just like this process of improvement you've been on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is a, that reflection brings back a lot of memories and feelings for sure. Um, because yeah, I, I, I still remember that feeling at my first ultra as well of looking at the podium of women at dirty 30, 2016, dirty 30, 50 K. I remember looking at that podium and being like, holy moly, this is like insane to me to think of like running that much faster than I ran out there at my first ultra. And like, how do I get there? Mm -hmm. And so it was this kind of like, you know, elephant one bite at a time kind of thing of, is that the quote? I don't know. Yeah. You eat an elephant one bite at a time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Of, um, yeah, of working my way there. And I think that, um, you know, looking back, like I like say at that first Trans Grand Canaria, I probably like made that those podium finishers, like even like larger than life than I feel now, like accomplishing those things. Like it, um, it, it feels like a different perspective to me now. And I, I note that because I think it's an interesting thing of how I viewed this, like, that success, the idea of success back then versus how I view it now, um, where I, I now I'm seeing like success is more like this, this byproduct of chipping away at something for a while. Yeah. And maybe when I first got into the sport, saw it as this kind of untouchable, um, ability and skill that I could only dream of. Um, and so, so that's an interesting part of that to me. And, you know, I think, I don't know, chipping away at that has been, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I'm remembering your original question. Of yeah. Just like, <laughs> well, that, yeah. 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 I mean, I think it's just, it's great to sort of go back and think about what 27 year old Abby oh, yeah. was thinking yeah. and, and now sort of being there and understanding, well, you know, it's, it's all the, this process. And as we talk about it being a process and how we're sort of view ourselves as athletes, it, it sort of makes me want to ask too, how you're viewing yourself, like in terms of like the practical stuff, like, where do you think you've made serious 
strides in improvement and where do you feel like you still have some glaring weaknesses? Mm. Um, I think like where I've probably made the most stride has been, uh, and again, like so much of this is really has very little to do with running, which to me has everything to do with running, but like so much of it to me has been this, like going to a start line, happy with who I already am and not, um, not seeing racing as like an opportunity to like prove something. Like, I think I ran with a chip on my shoulder for a while of feeling like, you know, there was like this, like version of myself within that I wanted to be able to shout to the world of, you know, that I was capable of these things that I'd dreamed of for a long time. Um, and I think like finally starting to, to shed that and be, be happy with like the journey as it unfolded, including like those failures, um, was a big, uh, a really freeing thing. Like, um, I don't know, even going back to those perform so much better when that's the case, when you're standing on the start line, just excited to go compete rather than like, Oh shit. If I finish outside the top 10, I'm not going to have sponsors and therefore I'm a worthless human being. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's like a hard thing to like, it's, I don't know, it's a weird thing how it works, but even like with Transylvania last weekend, it was like the, the more I've approached tracing with this, like nothing to lose mindset, the more, um, like more easily successes come and then the more fun I'm having. And then the more fun I'm having the, the lighter racing feels. And it's like, I mean, for better or worse, it's like this kind of cycle that can, yeah. Can, can kind of spiral, spiral positively, but it can be really hard to, to get there too, especially, you know, when things aren't going well. And so like, I also am very much taking, taking in mind that like, I know that this is not how the path will always look moving forward. And so I'm riding these, these good times while it's here, but like, I know that it's not how this is always going to be. Um, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. So backtracking quickly to CCC 2021, as we're sort of talking about this sort of sentimental stuff, it makes me want to ask about Cordis at the finish line, because <laughs> it was like, he was absolutely bawling at the finish. This was a breakthrough for you. And you could tell that he sensed like the weight of this achievement of mm-hmm. you finishing on the podium at CCC. Yeah. And I'm sure you guys have had an opportunity to you know, sort of like watch that video together and just reflect on that moment. And as somebody who's very sentimental, I'd love to hear you talk about it. Oh, totally. Yeah. It makes me emotional just thinking about um, really special moment for sure. Uh, I think like, you know, for Cordis and I have been, you know, together since I really got into ultras and, and he had just gotten into ultras shortly before me. And so the whole racing thing has been a really cool journey to go on together. Um, because we really dove in head first together, like when we first started dating. Um, and we've both just always been really hungry for, to just do big things and put ourselves out there, whether that's like big mountain objectives or, you know, like Cordis is often doing a lot of like more like scrambles and mountain objective kind of things, big link ups and like, you know, to now where we're focusing more on racing. Um, we've both been really hungry for those types of experiences and like who they make us as people. And, um, and so I think along, alongside the the journey of years of pursuing that together, there was this feeling that we were kind of building towards, towards something great together. Um, and so I think like that 2021 CCC was, um, yeah, just like a big result for the two of us and, um, and kind of really actualizing, you know, a level that we had, had dreamed of getting to together for a while. Um, and so, you know, I think really seeing him be emotional, like when I rewatch those shots, like from the finish, just like represents how I was feeling inside. And, you know, sometimes you can't like summon those feelings as the runner in the moment. It's like, you're feeling so many different things, but yeah, Cordis's face, uh, really says it all there. So special, man. And the, just yeah. that language list, nothing could really properly describe just how special those moments are with yeah. the people we love most at the finish line when things go well, you know, 
<laughs> and they're precious few. They're rare in life. So we have to talk about them when they happen. So all right, let's let's talk about CCC this year. And maybe we could just kind of like again kind of take this macro arc view of your experience at the race. Of course, you know, you were fin- you finished eighth, I think back in 2019 and then second in 2021 and then third, but an hour faster this year. And you wrote an awesome post on your guys's website that sort of provided some reflections on that three-year journey with the race. Can you kind of summarize that post for those who haven't read it? Like what, what do you mean mm-hmm. learned through that three-year process? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think a lot of it kind of, like I mentioned earlier is like this idea of, you know, kind of taking control of the effort early. Um, and actually Cordis says it best. I'm going to quote Cordis on this one. This is his new quote from the summer, which I think is hilarious. And like, but also so true. He says, ask not what your race can do for you, but what you can do for your race. <laughs> like John Kennedy. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. And it's like so great. The president, man. I know. Like get him on a, on a, you know, do the stump speech. Exactly. Political office there in Flagstaff. <laughs> exactly. But it's so great. Cause it's like, I look back at my first CCC and it was very much this more like, um, yeah, just kind of, um, like responding to the race as it unfolded and like kind of running reactively. Um, and then kind of like easing off of that mindset less and less. Um, and yeah, I think, um, there, you know, yeah, there's a lot of factors that have really contributed to like being able to take time off it. One of the huge ones that I can attest to is like the time I've gotten to spend out there leading into the races, um, each year, um, thanks to, Adidas Tarek's on that one big time for, you know, like getting to put us up in Chamonix for weeks going into the race. That's no, like, that is such a good point. And yeah. all you guys performed super well this, this year. I think brand, brands are going to have to start take following the lead of Adidas Tarek's and really supporting their athletes there in Chamonix for the weeks and months before the race in order for them to perform at that level. A hundred percent. I mean, just being able to know the course in such a detailed way to like, okay, this is the rock where I put my poles away on the top of this climb to like, this is where, you know, like to, especially like this year, the way the race unfolded, I really had to be doing a lot of math in my head on some of the final like climbs, like the Valerstein to Col de Montet, Col de to La Flagere, like each of those splits and knowing not just like what I was capable of running in a race at those, but also knowing like, okay, like here's the range of what I've done workouts on this climb in, and here's what a 32 minute, this feels like versus a 36 first. And like, I mean, that is like really like fine tuning the dials. Um, but like, I really think that it was like a million fine tuned things that added up to that 53 minutes I took off this year. Mm-hmm. Like there was not, there was not like one single massive thing that was a huge contributor. Um, it was just a lot of little things. Like, um, I, uh, had, I think I mentioned in that blog post, like I had been talking with my teammate, Steven Kirsch before the race. And I had said like, yep, I want to take an hour off my time this year. And kind of like, you know, um, just a fair question. He's like, okay, so like, where do you think you're going to take that? That's like a minute a mile, Abby. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And, uh, and I was like, well, I'm just going to like run each section faster. (laughs) And like, I mean, uh, yeah, it, it, it felt like a far stretch to do that, especially with how things had unfolded with that, like knee injury I mentioned early in the summer, um, those stitches and that bad fall and then reopening that wound in July. Um, it really felt like I was kind of threading a narrow needle and, um, but yeah, like the way I approached it was kind of like, either this is going to work or it's not. And I'm going to, you know, just keep my, keep my foot to, you know, the gas and hope that I can still put out, be able to put out the effort that I want to on race day. But, um, yeah. Amazing. So 53 minutes faster this year than last year, but unfortunately you're one place lower, but of course, as we've talked about, you know, as mature adults that we are with grand perspective, it's about the process, not necessarily about the result, but, you know, part of me wants to ask, 
of course, being on the podium at a race at UTMB is a career highlight for any athlete. This was the second time for you. Was there part of you that wanted to maybe prove that 2021 wasn't a fluke or that you could do it again on the world's biggest stage? Mm, That honestly, that kind of thought hadn't quite entered my head as much, to be honest. Um, because I didn't feel like it was a fluke in 2021, you know, um, like it felt it, I really, and this is like, again, something I mentioned in that blog post was I feel, I felt like, especially after 2021, I finished feeling like we're just getting started. Mm -hmm. And like, this was kind of the start of like my new like chapter as an athlete. Um, and so, yeah, it kind of felt just like the new benchmark for me. Um, and so I think like the races that I ran since that 2021 CCC definitely like reflected that. Um, and so, yeah, so I, I, I think it was more just like the start of a new chapter than it was like a desire to specifically prove that that wasn't like a one hit wonder thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. So talking about Transpacania now, um, you know, Actually, you know, before we get to it, maybe this would be fun to talk about because one of the things that you mentioned in that blog post that reflected on your three-year journey with CCC was the fact that you didn't do Western States this year also. And that was part of the reason why you went so much faster on the course. And I've sort of had a running theme on the show recently where we talk about calendar construction with some of the pro athletes in the sport and just how important it is now, you know, to really pick your spots, you know, as going back to what we said earlier, because you really do have to take risks. You really do have to go to the bottom of the well to achieve these podiums on the international circuit now. And so this was a, maybe a relevant thing to discuss with you, just like the process with which you go about setting the goals that you approach and, and just like the process of creating a calendar for yourself. Yeah. Um, that's been something like, you know, Coop has obviously been a big part of that. Um, and I think going into this year, the, the idea was that like, you know, I'm not really doing many or any B races, which is like, definitely, um, been an interesting thing to come to. Like I'm, I've realized I'm not someone who likes doing like a race as a long run or like it's, it's kind of, um, been maybe a part of just summoning like the effort required for some of these, especially like longer ultras, um, where I'm trying to like wring every last drop out of myself, like realizing that I need to go into those situations with a really full cup and a lot that I can wring out. Um, and that it's yeah like race day is something i don't take lightly and the more emotional energy i kind of have in my reserves to to give on those days like the better performance i can put together um and so yeah that's mean that kind of is mean means for me that i see race day as like a pretty sacred special day that i'm maybe only doing a few days a year um so like this year i did one like B race in like May. Um, but yeah, really this year, like it was trans Grand Canaria in March, um, Innsbruck Alpine 65 K in May CCC and then Transvulcania. And I was open to even not doing Transvulcania. Um, yeah. like even like, as I look to next year, like I've got two, two A races of Madeira and UTMB. And like, those might be the only two races I run next year. But like, for me, that approach has been very, um, yeah, like, uh, a method of kind of finding like what recipe works for me and what I enjoy. Um, and it's different for everyone. Um, but it's been a cool thing to come to of realizing like that I know how I like to approach racing. And for me, like getting out to the course ahead of time has been like a huge part of like success this year. Um, something I really like to do. And, you know, there's only so many courses you can really get to do that with. So Mm -hmm. I'd rather do like two, three opportunities like that per year, then, um, then risk kind of feeling like overdone, even just like from a perspective of like travel, emotional energy, like all these other things beyond the race itself. Brilliant. Brilliant. And such an important thing. It's been fun to talk about it with a few guests recently. So moving on to Transvulcania now, as I mentioned earlier, 
one of the things I was thinking about is that the races that we've discussed to this point in our conversation have been second at CCC, second at Trans Grand Canaria, third at CCC, and notably absent was like a big marquee international victory for Abby yeah. Hall. Yeah. And you achieved that at uh, Trans Vulcania. So how did you go from, because I think there's a psychological switch that flips there when you go from like viewing yourself as somebody who can compete for a podium versus being somebody who can compete for a victory. Can you, can you talk about that a bit? Oh yeah. I mean, I definitely got in my, got in my head, my fair share about that for a while. Cause you could go even back further with second at canyons. Like there's, there's a good amount of seconds in my past. Um, and so I always like, I mean, I really spent a lot of time thinking of that. Like, is there some like psychological like thing I'm setting myself up for of, you know, like how much I'm, you know, willing to put my position myself to win versus like, am I afraid to like risk too much and fall outside the podium? Um, and so, yeah, that was a question I asked myself a lot. Um, and I, I think that was kind of really where the, the whole, like, process, not outcome thing, kind of, um, the, where the rubber hit the road for me on that was really being in it for the long game and, um, in viewing kind of those, yeah, those podium days is like a big part of that and not making sure that I wasn't feeling like I was waiting for like the, the quote, like big win. Um, and that I was, you know, uh, appreciating those moments for what they were because, you know, I, I don't take success in this sport for granted, um, because it's a, it feels to me like a pretty fickle sport where, you know, you, you don't always recognize your like quote, like peak as it's happening. And so I always wanted to be very mindful of appreciating success while it was happening. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't want to feel like I was waiting for something. I wanted to feel like I was present with where I was at and what I was able to be accomplishing in those moments. Um, but like, yeah, without a doubt, I was, I still was very like maybe more curious of when, when I might be able to, yeah, like achieve a win in that category. And so that definitely is, was, a a, a emotion that I felt in a meaningful way, especially like crossing the finish line last weekend. So tell us about the race itself. At what point did you assert yourself as the race leader? And was there any psychological awareness in that moment of like what this meant and the significance of your career being in the lead and potentially winning a race like Transvolcania? Mm. I think like, it's interesting because I'm so used to just kind of being like scrappy in races and, you know, like throwing elbows and being in the mix. And, um, it's, it's not been often that I, like I've logged a lot of hours, like leading a race. And so, um, uh, yeah, I've dipped a toe in that and, um, tried to like make myself more comfortable with, with that feeling. And so, yeah, I took the lead, I think, um, after the first, have you, you run Transwalkania? Have you I run? actually haven't. No. Okay. Oh, you got to get out there sometime. Yeah, um, I broke my ankle before the race in 2019. I was going to go, but oh, man. Oh, hey, that... are they going to move it back to May? I want yeah. you to finish the answer. Okay. Yes. Good. Yeah. Good. They're going to move it back to May. Okay. Um, yeah. No. Cause it was funny. Cause at the finish, they, they, they were like, well, we'll see you at the next edition. Right. And I was like, isn't that like in six months? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I took the lead, um, like shortly after the first aid station in Los Canarios. Um, so probably about a little over an hour into the race, I think. Um, and yeah, I think, um, really wanted to, you know, kind of, push, like, I, I really wanted to run it like with that same aggression that I had been kind of, you know, mentioning for a lot of these races. And so, yeah, for me, that was starting myself early, um, had some time goals in my mind, um, and, you know, really like knew that I was going to kind of have to capitalize on the, the climb. Um, because I always like think of myself as being a climber. Um, and so I knew that that was, you know, where I had my best shot at, like, putting on some time, but then, um, it's, it was interesting because ultimately like I ended up building my gap more on the downhill. Um, and that's been something that like Coop and I have worked on a lot in the last year as like my descending. And so it's always interesting to see those narratives change of Mm -hmm. here's where I think I can, you know, like build a gap. And, um, ultimately that occurred on 
like the train that in the past has been a weakness for me. And I think it's because we've, we've made a big emphasis on technical descending for me. And, um, uh, yeah, like that, that work on the descents has, has paid off. I think. How have you guys worked on that out of curiosity? Because it's been a glaring weakness for me over my career. And uh, of course I've done some work with Jason Coop on it as well, yeah. but I'm sure that the fans would love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we did some like, um, blocks kind of in the winter where there would be like certain days of the week where, um, you know, where he'd be adding in like, like technical descent, um, like technical descent hard. Um, or like, you know, I think, I think it can be so common to build a route where you're like going up the steep way and down the gradual way. Cause it's just like makes for nice running. Like yeah. the common loop I'll do at home is like up blue dot, which is like up the steep way or hiking and then like running down the dirt road or whatever. Um, but like flipping that where it's like grinding up the dirt road, dropping down the technical way, a little more jarring, less, less common of a one to reach for, but yeah, like, I think we did like a four week block or so specifically where we were doing that. Um, I wasn't ever doing like workout intensities on that kind of train. Um, but, but another like aspect to that, that I think has been helpful is doing like weaving in some, um, like personal time trials. Like before we left Boulder, I did like a time trial on green mountain, um, and some things like that, where even just like one or two, like all out technical descents, I was like feeling kind of opened up. It, I don't know if it was mental or footwork or what, or trusting the body, but, um, even just like a short amount of time spent really going hard on technical terrain. Yeah. I think can go a long way. Yeah. Small doses are really valuable with that stuff. So you won by 18 minutes at Transvolcania, convincing victory. It sounds like your season is over now. What's yeah. your process now of like absorbing what you've achieved this year, recovering and, and making sure that both your body and mind are ready for next season? Yeah. Um, I think really like, celebrating the the season for me means like, you know, spending time with family, friends, like, you know, doing things that are not like training minded for me, um, going out for super easy runs. Like I think right now, like my next couple of weeks, it's just like on the calendars, like run every other day, you know, if it feels good, great. If it doesn't, you know, don't force it. Um, because there's so many other days of the year spent kind of mentally straining, um, and striving. <laughs> so yeah, like that's a big part of it for me. Um, you know, we're really excited to just like spend a stretch of time at home in Flagstaff, um, because, you know, we only moved there like a year ago, so we were gone most of the summer. Um, and so I'm excited to like root down. Um, but then, yeah, like, I think it's also kind of a time moving forward, you know, after recovery here, like I'll be really starting to focus on, um, kind of like some more strength work or maybe some like times, like how this year it was the technical downhill, like figuring out what some of those weaknesses are that I can kind of work in the off season. Um, and yeah, just like really filling up my cup, um, probably early season next year, do a training camp with some of our, um, like teammates here in the U S so. Yeah. Awesome. So you, you sort of spoiled my final question for you here, but uh, let's, let's just reemphasize it next year. You mentioned that it sounds like your two big goals are going to be the Madeira Island ultra trail, which mm -hmm. is in April. Everybody says it's an amazing race, 115 K traverse of that beautiful Island, but also notoriously difficult. And then UTMB, the most important yeah. race in the world in August. Yeah. Tell yeah. Us about, tell us about how you came to the decision to make those, your, your big goals and, and how you're feeling specifically about UTMB? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I definitely, um, had a tough time letting go of the thought of like trying to also do like trans Grand Canaria in there. But, um, like, again, for me, it's kind of about, um, like trying to kind of just choose a couple opportunities that I'm going all in on. Um, and for me, Madeira seemed, um, kind of well-timed with UTMB, um, as well as like, you know, additional like opportunity for an overnight, um, overnight racing, like the steep terrain. Um, it's been one that's been on my list for a while. So I'm excited to go experience that. Um, and then like the, the choice for UTMB definitely, um, you know, I, having spent three years kind of at CCC, I feel like, um, I, you know, you don't see many people like stick around at CCC, like, 
it's like often like the transition ground for people either like going from OCC to maybe something longer. Um, and like, I think you see maybe more people sticking around at OCC, um, for sure as well. And so I, uh, you know, I'm really grateful that I logged a few years there kind of, um, getting to know what's now going to be the, the back hundred K or so of, of, uh, my race this year. Um, and I'm really like excited to apply that kind of that course knowledge that I've built up over the years, as well as kind of like the, the risk-taking mentality. Um, and I feel ready to kind of step that up to the, the hundred mile distance there this year. So, um, for me, like, it's not, um, just like, it's not hundred milers in general that I'm wanting to reach for so much as it is specifically UTMB. Um, so it's a, yeah, it's a very, um, yeah, very much have built up a lot of love for that race as we all have. And so, uh, yeah, excited to, to finally feel like it's like the right call for me to give it a go. Love it. Well, Abby, congratulations on all your recent success. It's been so fun to watch and I'm really grateful you'd come back on the pod and talk about it. Thank you, Dylan. Great conversation and always good to catch up with you. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Abby for coming back on the show. Awesome runner, awesome athlete, awesome person. Truly arriving at the top of the sport. What did you guys think? Free Trail Pro members, jump in the Slack. Let me know if you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Speedland. Grab a pair of my signature shoe, the GS Tam. Visit runspeedland.com and use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the pre-order. Gnarly Nutrition, go grab some of the best nutrition products on the market. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. GoGnarly.com. BOA, visit BoaFit.com to check out the best fit system in the world. The dials that you see on every single pair of Speedlands. That's it. Thank you guys all for listening. Talk to you very soon. Love you so much. Bye-bye.